G'day ladies and gents, welcome to Life of Mine, the go-to mining podcast, Matty Michael here, right, we've now got free shipping in Australia for all the Life of Mine merch, head to lifeofmindpodcast.com forward slash shop, or go in via the Facebook shop, enjoy the benefits of free Aussie shipping, zip pay available, after pay available, if you'd like to essentially get some merch for free for a short period, go and load up and become a mining trendsetter. Right, in this yarn, corporate Matt was out and about again, terrorising the mining executive scene. And I got to have a chat with Scott Williamson, Managing Director of Blackstone Minerals, and Scotty and the Blackstone crew are looking forward and mining green. Straight off their website. Blackstone's major asset is the Tarkoa Nickel Copper Project in Vietnam, I've probably bloody pronounced that wrong, but sorry, Scotty. Uh, Very exciting project, not just for the fact that they will be producing nickel concentrate for lithium batteries and electrifying the world as we know it, but Blackstone will also have a downstream nickel refinery business that will refine their own concentrate and also source and refine concentrate from all around the world. They're essentially going into competition with the likes of BHP and Glencore, taking on the big dogs. Sounds pretty bloody cool. So, Scotty and I, we talked a bit about Blackstone, but we also talked about life of a a managing director. Big hours, huge amount of networking, flying around the world to where all the money is, uh, it was a brief overview, but I found it very, very intriguing. So, I hope you all enjoy this yarn. Let's head back into the C-suite and hear from Scotty Williamson. Let's get into it. Back in the portal. Copy, ship off. I got radio check. Yeah, radio's working fine. Yeah, copy all personnel. Yeah, copy, mate. The chair in the vent bag. Yeah, stitch her up there. Thanks, mate. I did, I did, I thought I'd take on a, um, well, you know, like Christian Bale, the actor, like he's, you know, he's like a method actor, he tries to get himself in the moment, so, because I knew I was coming in here, I went and had a beef faux soup yesterday to get oh. myself in the Vietnamese culture, now and then I'm interviewing a miner that's going for North Vietnam, I don't know if it's going to work or not. <laughs> What I can say is that it's not going to be as good as the, the what it tastes like over there. Have you? So obviously you're a bit parked up at the moment. Mm. But were you getting? Were you, have you been over there heaps? No. So pre-COVID, I was over there every month. Um, I was, I spent a lot of time on the road, South Korea, New York, London, wherever the money is. I was home one week in five, and. Um, yeah, and so so since COVID, haven't left the home office, and obviously come into the office here every now and then. But I, mm. I'm a big believer on um, working from home now. It, it's um, it's been good for me. But yeah, unfortunately, we can't get over there. But it's I can't wait to get over there and spend time with the the team again. How yeah. how long since you've been there? Well, nearly two years. Oh well, yeah. However long COVID's been, so I was I was uh, in Seoul when COVID broke and i can't i'm not sure if you remember that in the the early days of COVID, it was obviously china first and then it was Seoul. Seoul Seoul kicked off first oh right so that was in like jan that would have been january, january. february march around maybe february march of yeah of 20 yeah 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 
And then yeah. um, I remember <laughs> it was actually one of the brokers I just had lunch with. He said, oh, mate, you can't go to Seoul. It's kicking off. And I said, oh, mate, it should be right. It's just the flu. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, I was wrong. But um, but at the time it was it was sort of at that point where the world wasn't really sure what COVID was and, um, and I didn't really know what it was. But I remember landing at Seoul Airport and they gave me a mask and I said, Oh, okay. I thought it was just the flu, but it, yeah, clearly it was a bit more than that. And that was, and Seoul, Seoul kicked off. And then basically from that day, all of those meetings were, were, um, online or, or phone meetings. And so we yeah. actually sat in the hotel and, and we weren't allowed, allowed to, um, meet with anyone. And, and then I went to the Canadian, the big Canadian conference, the PDAC. And then, yeah, and then finally got home. And um, but then by that stage, Scomo was basically saying, "Oh, everyone that's sort of been to Seoul should sort of um, go into self quarantine." And and uh, yeah, so my wife sent me straight to an Airbnb, and and uh, so I had fourteen days in quarantine. And and that was obviously that was the start of what what we live now, which is a fairly normal thing, quarantine. But um, yeah, I luckily I haven't done it other than that first one, yeah, which uh, which I cheated a little bit back then. It was okay, like. Could cheat a bit. Chuck it, chuck it out. A couple of days extra, less why on earth. Will yeah, it? <laughs> I may have gone to uh, grab a six pack a couple of times at the bottle. <laughs> oh, geez, in that you bloody under the boob. I think what a rugby league player. He just got fined 50 grand for breaching COVID protocols. There's some bloody money in it now. Yeah, so back then it wasn't. I wouldn't mind being issuing the fines. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So back then it was. It was all pretty new, so um, yeah, it wasn't a real thing back then, and and it was sort of just my wife uh, sort of being a bit more cautious, and and it was it was also about com- I didn't want to bring it back to the office either, so I just sort of said, well, yeah. yep, I'll do my fourteen days, and um, yeah, so I did that, and yeah, d- but I'm gonna have to do it. It feels like it's gonna be a normal thing now. The, the mm. it's a part of um, operating overseas. Uh, yeah. We got a we got a guy out here. In the team, head of corporate, he's done, I think, five or six 14-day quarantines. So he spent, yeah, most of the year in quarantine. Oh, because I, I guess someone from, has to be going over there at some point, is it? Yeah, so we've been able to use Teams and uh, Zoom really well. But, yeah, it, it is good to have some face-to-face. Um, Asia's all about, yeah, relationships. And um, so, yeah, we've sort of we've had to have someone coming and going and, and he's done a great job of that. So, which has meant that I can stay home and, yeah, but, um, yeah, can't wait to get back on a plane now. Yeah, it's I'll, been too long. But then uh, you're probably a well-earned break. I remember talking to Gloso the other week from Bellevue. He said he got, got about two pneumonias in a year doing like what you said you're doing, like flying around where the where the money is and the wheeling and dealing. It'd be uh, – it'd take its toll eventually. Yeah, yeah a bit of a global pandemic is probably welcome. Yeah, it's a lot been of good. Corporate people. I lost uh, <laughs> the, the the first lockdown. I lost a lot of weight because you, all of a sudden you're not drinking as much and you're not um, eating as much and you're not. Yeah, your your body clock actually works for a change. And so you're yeah, not on the Qantas lounge diet. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's been great for the for the family and and the body. But um, yeah, it's now time to to get back into it but yeah and and unfortunately um the delta variant has been a a bit of an issue in the south of vietnam 
in the north we've been pretty lucky so far but um yeah i think the delta variant's a bit of a game changer so yeah let's um let's hope we can get through it and and, and get the vaccines happening yeah well we won't we'll, we'll get into blackstone eventually mate, because i'm sure that's all you bloody talk about <laughs> to the investors this is the one chance you've got to put the feet up and give a yarn about yourself why not? Yes. <laughs> I did the LinkedIn stalk, um, as per usual. It's like a free resume hunt that you check off people. Were you? I, I see you were at Leinster in the early days. Was Squizzy Taylor there then when you were there on the jumbo? Oh, geez. I, so what? What happened with Leinster is, um, I. I was. They put me straight in the mine planning office, and and so as a young engineer, all you want to do is get underground. And unfortunately, I think I had a footy injury, or for some reason, I wasn't able to go underground at, at that particular mine. So I was stuck in the mine planning um, with the the shiny bums, and um, but that was all right. So I didn't actually get much time with the crew down there. So, um, but my my previous role was with Silver Swan, and that's um, that was my. My first underground opportunity in, at Silver Swan, but yeah, I can't remember. Unfortunately, I didn't get underground at Leinster, so I don't know the team back there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So where where were you? Are you one of those Wasm belt buckle characters, or <laughs> what? Where did you do your engineering? Yeah, so I went to Wasm. I did the double degree, so I did commerce as well as engineering. So I did some of the the, the commerce degree at the Curtin Business School, and then uh, and then engineering at Wasm and. But from basically from year the first year you go straight into vacation work and I think that was around two thousand one uh, went out to Silver Swan and went underground at the Silver Swan nickel mine and and from that day just fell in love with mining and particularly underground mining and um, yeah so I really enjoyed my time as a underground mining engineer as you as you know we we get to touch all the different tools and. And um, yeah, really enjoyed. Particularly back then, it was it was sort of the jumbo. Uh, so your nipper, obviously, and um, the the <laughs> still charging off the boom and all that sort of fun stuff. And um, <laughs> it was uh, yeah, it was a good experience. And yeah, just really enjoyed spending time with the, the jumbo operators and learning how to read the ground and and um, understand well how 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 rocks work really like there's only one way to really learn how to how rocks fall and that's to to support them and um yeah i really enjoyed that time as a nipper did you um go through the textbook bloody journey that we all went through like ah, oh, bugger this engineering shit i'm gonna stay down here get on this jumbo thing this is where the coin's at <laughs> did you you love it as much as ever all of us it's did exactly what happened so <laughs> three three times throughout my uh vacation work i i said i'm gonna be a i'm gonna quit quit school go and be a nipper be a jumbo operator every time i'd go back to the senior mining engineer or the mine manager and they talked me out of it and um and it was always disappointing you sort of come out of the office with your head head down and oh shit i've got it wrong again but like i was so convinced that that was a great move because I always thought, okay, well, I can do this for three, four, five, ten years, and then always go back. and And the, their view was, well, you'll never go back. And so, yeah, so I kept on the on the uh, school train. And the, and the, unfortunately, school's not. I, I I didn't enjoy school because I didn't have the money, and it was always about where, how do you feed yourself, and all the the difficulties around university. It's um, it's not easy. And I was I looked at the being a nipper and and then 
I thought, well, shit, these guys do all right. Like I, I'd like some money for a change, and and yeah. So about three times I actually I looked at it, and um, I don't know, I don't know what the whether it was the right thing or not, but um, yeah. So now I'm uh, yeah, sort of back on the on the corporate side, but yeah, I still really love the camaraderie of underground mining and. It's the closest thing I've seen to team sport. Um, played a lot of um, Aussie rules footy as as growing up, and I, I felt like it was the closest thing work wise that I've ever um, come across. It's like playing in a footy team um, because yeah, you're out there and you. It's all about the common goal, and everyone does plays their part. And I think yeah, that's why I really miss about underground mining. Yeah, it is. It is bloody good fun. Did you did you always have the I guess the, the route you've taken now, the, the corporate side, did you have that in your head from early on? Is that why you did the double degree? Was that? Yeah, it's an interesting one because when I, I I did the, I picked the commerce engineering when I was at school and then one week before I was about to start university, my mum, because I, I grew up in Geraldton, um, which is a similar sort of size town to Kalgoorlie, and my my mum rang up and said, "Oh, did you know that your degree is actually based in Kalgoorlie?" <laughs> and I said, "No, I didn't, didn't know that." <laughs> and I, so I walked I walked into the um, the Bentley curtain and I said, "Oh, is this true that I have to actually go to Kalgoorlie for this degree?" And and they basically said, "Yeah, yeah, you yeah you're going to have to go to Kalgoorlie." And I and I was very close to pulling out because I just come from Geraldton and and it was sort of. I didn't really – I wasn't that keen on going back out into the bush. But then they sort of said, oh, well, you're going to start on this salary. And I said, oh, geez, okay. Well, maybe, well, maybe I'll give I'm it a interested. crack. <laughs> so, so they said, uh, you'll, you'll probably start on 60 grand per year. And I was like, oh, shit. That's, so at that time, I think the average starting salary for a graduate was about 30. And I thought, geez, I better – I might, might just see how this plays out. <laughs> and um, – and then, uh, and then, yeah, and then went underground for the first time and, and loved it. And so, um, but they were wrong. I ended up starting on something like $100,000 a year and it was boom time again. So back when I started, it was sort of bottom of the cycle and, and it sort of, when I graduated, very similar to what we're seeing now with the, the kids coming out now and with, yeah, ridiculous salaries. So. What, what was booming when you started? So that was early 2000s, eh? Is that, yeah. Was, was Nickel so still? Nickel was about to kick off. So I graduated around 2005, 2006. Um, so Nickel was about to kick off. It was, yeah, it was good times. Um, a bit like the kids coming out now, there's offers everywhere and, and you don't know which one to take, and and so it was. Um, so I ended up going up to the Argyle Diamond Mine, and um, yeah, and really enjoyed my time. So I lived in Kununurra. Yeah, no. Um, so get a bit more rural town in. Yeah, you know? that's right. <laughs> you just wanted to live in bloody Perth the whole time. And yeah, and- it was funny because I you, you sort of Perth's great, and then you sort of get sick of Perth, and you go well. Hang on, let's use this uh, career to move around Australia. And so I went to Kananara and then I went to um, the East Coast. So I sort of used it to go on to the East Coast, went to Ballarat and lived in um, places like Parks and um, worked at a, a mine called Krakow in Queensland. And, yeah, so I got to look around Australia and and then I found my wife who's from Ballarat and said, oh, um Perth's pretty good, and so I convinced her. Um, I couldn't convince her to go to Kalgoorlie though. Um, we 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 used to watch the Kalgoorlie cops on TV, and 
Um, that wasn't a, a good wasn't sort a of, good sales pitch. No, nah, yeah, so yeah. it was a bit of a problem. So I was never going to get her to Kalgoorlie, but I got her to Perth, and um, yeah. So she's yeah, we've got now got two two little girls here, and and really really sort of pushing the engineering into the girls because I think what I learned as an engineer is um, it's just good life skills, and um, really enjoyed. And I don't think we we do that enough with our girls. I think it's really important that we we push science and engineering into our girls. And yes, yeah, so I got two two little potential engineers one day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They will. They'll be loving the fact that you're not on a plane flat out, aren't they? Yeah, been, it's been uh, it's been great, and I've really embraced the whole work from home thing. Um, yeah, I spend yeah a lot of time on Zoom and Teams, and yeah, it's uh. It, you get a lot done at home now. So you you reckon you're more efficient at home than in the office, bloody having coffees and chewing the. That's what I found. I've in the. Co- I said everyone just stands around the bloody coffee machine. No one's actually doing anything. I reckon well, at home would be more efficient. I reckon I'm it. almost as efficient as a jumbo operator at home. I can do twelve hours straight without too go. many distractions. Yeah, you t- tell them the the kids or the shift boss to go away. Yes. Yeah. So what? Jack, the problem I'll, I'll jack it right up so the steps are that high they can't climb up. Just yes. to try on any deterrent for people to go away and yeah, leave get me away. <laughs> yeah. So the problem with the office culture is there's a lot of um, what I call chit chat at the water cooler, and and I didn't realise this until COVID hit, and then. Yep. I look back and go, well, hang on. Um, I don't. Unfortunately, in my role, I don't have time for chit chat at the water cooler, mm. and um, as a jumbo operator, you obviously don't either. So, I, I'd, I'd, I'd go as far as say I'm almost as efficient as you. Yes. Well, there you go. Hey, I'm bloody efficient too. Oh, blood. Yeah, but isn't it weird when you can do twelve hours of something? That's what I think. Mining is the like such a unique industry. Like you can do twelve hours straight, and you're still looking for an extra hour. Like, you're just like, that isn't enough. Like, yeah. I'm sure your roles are saying you probably need 20 hours in a day to bloody work. Yeah, it's we won't a- go into that detail. But <laughs> yeah, it's, um, yeah, unfortunately, my role, it doesn't, doesn't stop. And, but I'm lucky that I, I love it and I enjoy it. And I'm yeah. sort of pushed by something that's much more than just a pay packet. And, um, yeah, and that's, that's the beauty of, of this role is it's, um, yeah, we're, 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 we're looking at achieving something that's, it's it's good for the people of Vietnam. It's good for the team. It's good for the future generations. And yeah, so it's it's yeah, it's a bigger something much bigger than um, yeah you could you could dream of in in this particular role. Because you are how many like you're saying your role? How many roles does your role encompass? Because <laughs> you'd be bloody HR. You you would be investor relations. You are just running everything, are you? Yeah, it's funny. In the early days, so I've been in this role nearly nearly four years now. In the early days, I was the only person. Basically, we we had we had, we shared uh, accountants and um, geologists, and so there was a couple of um, other roles there. But really, as far as full time roles, I was the only one. That was in the early days. So yeah, back then that was yeah I did everything. Um, now we've been able to obviously access some capital and bring in a team and I've got a, a team of all those sort of experts but unfortunately yeah the you do have to be across all all aspects of the business and I think that's what um, mining engineering slash commerce background really gives me the the ability to sort of with mining engineering you can come down to geology and you can go up to metallurgy and you should sort of in that middle ground and mm-hmm. um, as long as you can communicate I think that's the key and 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 no disrespect to my peers, unfortunately, not all mining engineers can communicate, and I've been lucky that I was one that that can communicate, and that's obviously 
sort of fits this role. You don't want to be what, – what did you get at uni? Where, where, what marks were you getting at uni? Where were you sitting? Like a <laughs> sort of a credit distinction? Like, oh, I'm, I'm more of a, um, yeah, 51 sort of guy. That's yeah. the ones they want. I, was ta- <laughs> I remember talking to Strahlo um, about it because he did all the recruitment for Northern Star. And he says, if I've seen straight high distinction students, nah, you don't even get a look in because yeah. they're like – but it's the people, as you say, the people that are like, you know, might be getting 60s, 70s, but they're involved in everything. They're playing sport. They're on the source all the time. They're like, that's, that's what mining is. It's yeah. being able to – that's definitely have a yarn and communicate. Yeah, yeah so I, I think I averaged over the degree maybe fifty nine or something in that order, and I think or maybe maybe oh, sixty four. Anyway, I wasn't quite enough to get honours, which is which I anyway. That's mate, you fine. Made, made for corporate. Yes, that is made. That, that sixty <laughs> mid low sixties is like that's mining corporate. Dun, yeah. So I was lucky that I as when I was at university, I was working at the Canal and Bell Gold Mine. And I would always prioritise work over uh, study. I shouldn't shouldn't say that, but basically it was all about the on on the ground, on the tools experience versus the textbook. And I'd always prioritise my time at the mine over my time in the textbook. And and that was that was really sort of the way I've always um, sort of approached my career is get as much hands on, um, get get dirty and and get amongst it and and communicate with with the the jumbo operators and and the service crew sh- uh, shift bosses all that sort of thing just to understand the game and and because you're not going to get that in the textbook and that's i was i was big on um working obviously because you get paid as well so i needed a bit of coin to pay for the beers <laughs> yeah exactly exactly so was there a was there has it been a blur towards like you know doing a drill and blasters on to now being an md of a ASX company, like is, it, is is that been a blur, or is it just does does it sort of happen without you knowing it? Yeah, I was I did a little bit of a, a pivot in my career, and this is probably most mining engineers sort of go through this um, uh, uh, drill and blast, all the, the into senior mining engineer, into um, underground mine manager, into GM, and then into the corporate roles. I I went and got the first class mine manager's ticket, but I always sort of knew that I wasn't going to use it because I was going to do this pivot, and I, so I pivoted away into the corporate world, which is uh, on the stockbroking. So I was um, a bit like Gleeso actually. I was a an, a mining analyst actually. That's where I first met um, Gleeso. So I was a mining analyst for a group called Hartleys, and that was really the the sort of key move into the corporate world, and and that allowed me to sort of I suppose. almost past some of my peers and that are sort of stuck in that sort of unfortunately there's a real regimented structure uh around mining and 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 it can it can sort of um take time to move up the ranks in the in the mining game so well yeah that underground manager to gm that period to get to go to the next is you can be 10 years there oh at least yeah Yeah. so i didn't i was a bit impatient i thought oh hang on i'm I'm not gonna worry about that and and it was also driven by um lifestyle as well and being able to get back to the city and and i knew that eventually once i got married with kids that i wanted to move away from fifo um I, i enjoyed fifo but i always knew that i wanted to sort of move back to a yeah the shiny shiny office and um yeah and so it was sort of driven by lifestyle and and so luckily that role just sort of kicked kicked it into gear and i 
I remember, so I used to um, be the uh, mining analyst for a group called Griffin Minerals, which was Steve Parsons' last um, uh, success story. So I met Steve Parsons, and and then uh, and that sort of helped me in this role. So the and the the, the corporate world is all about um, network, and and that that mining analyst role, we got access to all of the the industry's highest CEOs. So. Um, yeah, we, so I get to have coffee with Rally Finlayson, for instance, mm. and, and, and that was just supercharged the career, that sort of uh, role. So, and that's, that's sort of how I got here. Yeah, if I hadn't have done that pivot, I'd probably be still underground mine manager somewhere, which, which I, I would love to do, actually. I'd, I'd, it was just more driven by the family situation, mm. really. Wait, did, the, <clears throat> did you and the wife know what you were signing up for, for an MD role? <laughs> Yeah, good question. I I I didn't know. No, and I, I, until you jump into it, you don't really know what it's what it it's all about. Um, but being on that broker side, the stockbroking side, so you as a stockbroker, every every day you'd meet two or three CEOs, and you, and you sort of get a feel for what what's involved. Um, but but being in that role where all full responsibility of the future of the company relies on your decision making it's um so it's not it's not for everyone um but i think i've always been able to make decisions and then and i've watched some of the the best um sort of mind managers in my career and sort of sort of seen how you've just got to make a decision and run with it and and that's I think that's the key to to good leadership is being able to make decisions and live with the consequences of that decision, and then just have conviction in what you're what you're on about. And, and I've seen some, yeah, I've worked with some great um, mine managers, general managers over the time, and I've sort of I've taken that into this role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how did this? Were you, I guess, looking for this role? Did this just pop its head up to, or when? It's yeah, a, it was an advertised role, and and I wasn't sure whether I was ready for it. I was sort of at the age of thirty four, I think, and so I was still a bit green. Um, I, well, I was well and truly green for for this sort of role at thirty four. It's you're never sh- sure, and um, but then spoke to the recruiters, and they said, "Yeah, we think you're ready." And so yeah, just jumped in, and um, and. Back then, the the company was much smaller, so I didn't have as much responsibility as we do now. But um, but yeah, it sort of fell into it a little bit. It, there's a bit of luck involved for sure. Oh, they, and then recruiters, they'll tell you everything they want to hear yes. that you want to hear too. They pump your tire. You always feel good after talking to a recruiter. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> what what did um so what when you did take it on? What what did Blackstone look like back then? Yeah, so at the time, I think the company was a. A sort of twenty million dollar market cap. We had the Canadian cobalt asset. Uh, we we were focused on battery metals, and and so we uh, we we had uh, yeah. It was it was early days. We hadn't drilled that asset, and we hadn't done much drilling at all. And mm-hmm. yeah, it was very early. It was it was sort of myself and some, a few geos and a couple of accountants and. Um, it was good, good fun, and but then we pivoted away from Canada to the Vietnam asset, which is um, obviously at, at the time it was uh, we're, we'd sort of fallen away back to about a five million dollar market cap. So we, we uh, unfortunately the share price fell away, and then uh, and that revived the company when we picked up um, Vietnam, which um, which was 
after a conversation, I had a coffee with a guy called Evan Spencer. I'm not sure if you know Evan. He's a he's a mining engineer from Kalgoorlie. Um, he he was the mine manager at the Canana Bell Gold Mine back in when I was a young student. And uh, he said, "Oh, you should go and have a look at this thing in Vietnam." And and uh, it's yeah, it's turned the company around. Yeah, right. That and. It's the flavour of the month, isn't it? The nickel, the green, the green future. I went on the Blackstone website and it's like, <laughs> oh, these guys are onto it. Well, that is uh, – and the – what the, I was just watching that. I think you might have shared it, actually, the video of these bloody Tesla trucks that are coming out and the it is just unbelievable what's coming up in the next yeah. 20 years and how big a part or nickel is going to play in it. Yeah, and we and we were, we were early, so we, we bought – or this mine nearly two years ago now. So we, what happened is when we went to Canada, we uh, met the battery makers from South Korea. So we started going up to Seoul and they said, oh, can you go and find nickel sulfide? And I said, oh, geez, we've got plenty of that in Cambelda. <laughs> and um, we had a good look at the long nickel mine, uh, went down long and um, and met the guys at IGO. And anyway, we, we wanted something with scale and this is this what, what we've got in Vietnam is a significant scale. It's a, it's what I call a mini Mount Keith. It's almost as as very similar to a Mount Keith style ore body. So it's big bulk tonnage open pit. We've got lots of little underground opportunities a bit like Cambelda as well. So we've, we've got this whole district. It's like like going into Cambelda 50 years ago. Um, but with a Mount Keith right next to it. So it's um yeah, it's a great opportunity. And um, but yeah, so we were early, and now we've got um, obviously BHPs. At the time when we picked up this asset, I think um, Nickel West was for sale. Obviously, not anymore. Oh and, yeah, yeah. And so now BHP's gone all in, and we've got IGO um, obviously having a go for Western areas, and then Twiggy's going having a go as well. So we're we're sort of we're lucky. What's, we've what's got Twiggy our, up to? What's his one? He's got going. So he's just. Um, He's a shareholder of a, a company called Neront in the in Canada. Um, BHP bid Neront. I think it, today he might have actually um, gone over the top of BHP. So oh, here we go, live, uh, live foodie, ladies and gents. <laughs> <laughs> it's all happening. So, but it's all about securing supply for the lithium-ion battery. Um, groups like Tesla have just come in to announce that they're they're going to need a lot of nickel. Um, so. Yeah, they've taken um, a partnership with BHP. So, yeah, we were luckily we were ahead of this about two years ago. We we could see it coming, and and that's why we grabbed this asset in Vietnam. Yeah, nice. So, what's what's Vietnam like as a landscape, like sovereign risk side? Side of yeah, things. so it's it's been pretty good. So we're lucky that Evan and his team um, at the the group called T- Asian Mineral Resources on the TSX they they set up a great little mine. So we've got a small underground mine. I've got a, a nickel concentrator. Um, we're lucky that a lot of that pioneering work um, has already occurred. So if it was a greenfield, it would be a lot of, a lot more work for us. But because it's a brownfields opportunity. Uh, we've we've been yeah lucky that there's a lot of good work and good relationships from the team. So some of our team members have worked with this mine for 20 years. Mm. So we're lucky that we've already got those strong relationships with the local government. Yeah, it's been really good. Then the the main thing that we're seeing is obviously the cost profile. Like we can um, drill for fifty dollars a meter versus in Australia it's a, it's yeah three or four or five times that. So it's yeah. um, we can get a lot more done over there. Yeah, yeah. So where I saw it, what is it? 
Forward, because I'm trying to, I, I, I operate in underground numbers. I've got to expand my knowledge to open pit. I'm bloody useless. Because yeah. is it all going to be predominantly open pit? So it's like 44 million tonne re indicated resource, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so that's the pit. So we've got one big open pit, which is the base load feed. And then we've got another, looks like another small open pit and three undergrounds. So it's three small undergrounds. And they're, they're only sort of maybe 0.5 to 1 million tonnes each. Mm -hmm. So they... They're small, narrow vein, high grade undergrounds. Um, so yeah, there's uh, there's a combination of both. Um, the the undergrounds are higher grade. Um, it'll be all jumbo. Oh, there might be a bit of air leg work, but mm. mainly jumbos. And um, so the previous owners did. Uh, they used a group called Mancala, and they were yep. um, Australian mining contractors. So they've set it up as if you would mine in Australia. So. Um, mech, yeah, mech, fully mechanised. What's the? I saw anything. Explain how'd you word it? Upstream, downstream, <laughs> battery, bloody lithium supply. Give us the spiel there. It's yeah, sad. so upstream um, is basically everything to a concentrator. So when we before nickel, there's two stages. There's the concentrate, which most miners uh, produce. So most miners on the ASX produce concentrate, and then they sell it to a refinery or a smelter. Where we will be the refinery, so where ours won't be a smelter, but it'll be a, a hydrometallurgical process. But we'll actually be competing with groups like BHP to source concentrate from Australia. So we'll actually have a downstream business that'll source concentrate from potentially from Cambelda yep. or um, even in the north of Australia. So there's there's concentrate around. We'll source that from our mine. Uh, in Vietnam, and then fifty percent will come from mines around the world, particularly Western Australia. So yeah, so we're we're in competition with groups like BHP and and Glencore. You're not going to put the bloody four mid strength rule at Blackstone, eh? <laughs> no, That's how you can separate yourselves from BHP at the moment. <laughs> no, we're we're the complete opposite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm interested to hear about the uh, I guess the life of. Um, because your 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 life becomes less about blowing up rocks, the the higher you go up, it appears. Like like the you know flying all around the world, and as you say, flying to where the money is. I'm pretty interested in like how how it all works. Like just I know we're not I know you're not just sitting back having pints the whole time. <laughs> or maybe you are, but um, is it like because I suppose every, there is that many bloody companies out there like yourselves. Is everyone just trying bat, like fighting against each other to secure funding off who's got the money? Yeah, so the money game is a relationship game, and it's an it's all about building trust from the investor. So, and and depending on how much money is involved, is how much. Is required to to build that trust. So, for for instance, in Asia, um, they like to meet you and um, shake hands and and share a meal and and maybe some some alcohol. Um, whereas in the Western world, they're probably more likely just to throw money over the Zoom screen. Like, yeah, so right. it's it, it depends on what type of money and how quick that money is. So so hot money is easier to find. Probably less relationship required, less flying around and 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 drinking alcohol together. Versus the um, the the Asian money is is long term, 10, 20 year view. So so these guys are saying, okay, we're going to back you for the next 10, 20 years. Yep. I want to look you in the eye. I want to have have some some drinks and and lunch or dinner, and and then I'll give you 
give you my my money. So it's a, it depends on what sort of money you're after as to how many um, frequent fly miles you need to do. <laughs> but and, and God, how do you get a hold of these people? I gather there's not a website like a yellow page as you look up for who's got bloody cash around the world. Like, how is it just you just constantly bloody getting steered around the world with like you just it's just a massive bloody network is it yeah there's always a, a broker or an agent in the middle and they mm. they're the generally the ones that will find you so the the stockbrokers or investment bankers um they they will approach you and and they'll say we've got they they're basically like a matchmaker mm. um very well paid potentially overpaid matchmaker <laughs> Um, so there's always someone in the middle that's clipping the ticket, probably not actually adding much value. Um, so we, we won't talk too much about bankers and brokers. but that- I feel like you had to get that off your chest a little bit today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so working as an, a broker's analyst, we, um, we were the, the lowest paid in the, uh, in the firm and, and probably added the most value. But, we, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's something that I'll, I'll have to uh, deal with. But, um, yeah, anyway, so there's always someone in the middle and, uh, and that's sort of how it happens. It's, a, it's an overpriced uh, matchmaker called a stockbroker or a banker. Because <laughs> it, it's not um, when like this, all this funding's coming in and the share's getting issued and everything like that. They're, they're not going on to Comsec and just buying them. It's a totally different world when, when you're dealing with that amount of money is it? They're like they're separate, totally separate deals from the. How does that all work? Yeah, it's interesting. We we actually we joke about the fact that our major shareholder Echo Pro probably does not ha- know how to sell their shares. So it's um, <laughs> well, that's a good thing. Yeah, that's a good thing. So yeah, if anyone out there um, worried about that, don't worry because I'm not. Sh- I don't think they know actually how to do that. They're in bloody good hands here. Yes. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's. Um, and it's but it's done in different ways like things like mous which is a memorandum of understanding which in australia it sounds like a bit sort of weak over there they take these things very seriously oh so, is that right yeah that's a because that's, that's a, like the handshake deal yeah, essentially well isn't it? but they they write those in blood so it's um it's a really important stage of of building that relationship so they do an, yeah. an mou and you, you go and shake hands and you get a good photo opportunity and so that yeah. that's a, one of the sort of things that they're really big on so you always start with an mou and then you you move to the the next stage and and hopefully you can finally get some money out of them but it takes takes a lot of time <laughs> <laughs> i'd imagine so <laughs> Yeah, right. I'm just so, I'm so intrigued by the uh, this whole lifestyle. It's like, oh no, it's not like Jordan Belfort running around. But yeah, that's all. What's it like doing it with um, uh, wife and kids? Yeah, yeah. yeah, it'd be massive bloody balancing act to be Scott Williamson or what? <laughs> So my wife understands that my role is is all about relationships and networking. I'm very lucky that she allows it. Um, she knows that um, that's what drives the success is is um yeah networking and and building relationships so i'm very lucky that she understands that but a lot of wives wouldn't Mm. um and i sort of so she's sort of um accepted the fact that i i don't do a nine to five and and um and yeah and i'm often home late and uh and some of that is is due to the fact that i'm out um networking yeah do you and like as soon as you get home you just thought is it bloody hard to switch off? Can you, like can you switch off in your role, or you got to train yourself to do it? Yeah, I I I don't need to because I I'm enjoying it so much. I I obviously try and exercise and 
um, and spend time. With, so I do switch off with the family, but unfortunately, you 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 don't. You actually don't. You as long as you're enjoying it, well, why do you need to? Yeah, yeah. Oh, this is funny. You you can't make you can't make it sound too good because everyone will think you're bloody. It, it's not. It's actually not as glamorous as it sounds. Like you actually get to the point where. So I I get to the weekend and the last thing I want to do is is have another beer. Mm. Um, because and and the problem is then you don't have time to go and have a beer with a mate because you've 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 been drinking for work. So yep. it's um yeah that yeah I yeah, I feel for my mates because I don't I don't have much time for them. Yeah. Hey, what do, do some if someone said to you, "Oh, I'm I'm deterred by going down a corporate route because it'd be it's tough thing on the family." Is there a way to do it? But you sound like you've got it pretty well under. Uh, yeah, you've got to have a, a very um, supportive wife and and family. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, yeah it's not. Have you got a book? You got to book. Um, you'd have to book kid time in the calendar. Everything yeah. goes in the calendar. Yeah, weekends are are an important time, and my my girls, even at the age of six and eight, are, are call they'll call me out if I'm working too much on weekends. So yeah, it's important to have that break. Yeah. Well, they're the yeah. Once you get to your level, the bosses are your kids, aren't yes. they? Well, they're the ones that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Where's the so the you said you 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 well you know you're building something like this is you obviously it's pretty uh yeah I guess your uh, passion for it's very infectious it it sounds like you just love it what what are, if someone says what are you building with uh blackstone yeah. what's okay it's not just about nickel is it yeah so we're oh a good chunk of it is <laughs> and uh, it's funny because I've I've grown up as a gold miner and and gold mining is great and I love gold mining and I love gold but I. I look at what we're doing. So we're we're building a nickel mine that goes into a, a refinery that goes into a lithium ion battery that goes into an electric vehicle, which creates a, a greener and cleaner and a better future for my children, their children, and the and then the future generations. So it's, there's something much bigger than just digging gold out. And no disrespect to gold miners, because I've always been a gold miner and I love gold mining, but I, I'm going to struggle to go back to gold mining because. What I'm doing has such a bigger impact on the future of the world, and so it is. It is pretty powerful. What we, as nickel miners, what we can, what we our final product is actually achieving now. So, yeah, it, it definitely gets me out of bed in the morning. I'm not sure if I'll be jumping out of bed as much when I'm. And one day I'll be a gold miner again. There's no doubt. Um, <laughs> but it's not quite the same. It, is there like? You know, doing what you do is there like like potential to be like talking to Tesla about selling nickel to them? Is that like the sort of level we're talking? Uh, we won't go into too much detail. Oh, not like, I mean, like companies like is that the <laughs> there, like that this, is this very whole much industry? The case. Yeah, that. Yeah. So we're we're talking to electric vehicle manufacturers. Yes, that's it. How cool is that? That's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. So there's a there's a a very easy look through. To the fact that we're we're actually cleaning the, the the environment for our children. Yeah, exciting times. I can't. Wait. I'm going to have to. You have you got a Tesla? Have you got an electric car? No, yet? I know. It nearly I, comes I should with have, the. Well, yeah, yeah. Yes. You essentially, have to. I'm going to have to own one, but uh, at the moment, unfortunately, or have a spare battery in your bloody car or something. Yes. Just buy a bit extra nickel just to justify the ride. I've got the uh, the Ryobi uh, power tools, so they've all got <laughs> nickel in them too. Geez, once the share price goes up, you're able to get Milwaukee's or something. <laughs> That's probably why I haven't got a Tesla yet. 
<laughs> sort of the shares are good buy at the moment. I was having a look on bloody. Uh, yeah, we're pretty happy um, that we're we're onto something that's going to be well uh, understood over time. At the moment, it's completely not not uh, fair value, but yeah, but. It'll come and um, it'll happen quickly, and then and then I'll have to say I told you so. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Keep it on you. What's the stock code? Uh, BSX. Yeah. BSX. I love it. I'll get it. I'll be. Can you give me some as a part of the? <laughs> Can you pay it? That'd be if I just went around interviewing the uh, West Perth and just got equity out of it. Something will hit eventually. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> They're all going up at the moment. Yeah, I know. It's a. Yeah, it's bloody. Exciting times. If I didn't spank so much on bloody, I don't know if you knew, if you've heard my ways, I bought Northern Star shares at like 20, 40 cents as a CFD and then it like plunged the next week to 25 oh, and lost the whole bloody lot. Oh, jeez. Yeah, it's there. Yeah. What do they call them? I call them contracts for dickheads. <laughs> 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 yeah, I've never leveraged up on uh, on shares, and uh, yeah, that's, that is uh, why you don't. <laughs> no. <Yeah. laughs> Sorry to hear that. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, don't, don't worry. Yeah, the, the missus is up me nonstop. That's all. Say, I said, I said, we had this exact conversation just before I come in here, and she's like, yada yada. If you didn't lose all your money, and I said, well, if I didn't lose my money, and I was such a bloody hopeless case, I would have been snapped up by someone else, darling. And you've had this opportunity to fix me. So- <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get a good response from that. Yeah. <laughs> so the moral of the story, no CFDs. Don't get CFDs. Don't don't buy BSX and CFD. There you go. Oh, it's been a bloody good meet and great, mate. I'm sure we're going to have plenty more of these. We'd like to uh, further uh, divulge into the uh, what's going on in Vietnam one day. It sounds very exciting. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's um, yeah, it's a great story. I'll hop out. on the play. We'll do a bloody live one on the on the seven eight seven on the way over. I'll happily be escorted through the mine. Yeah, well, when me too, Bob. when it opens up, we yeah. So we did pre COVID. I think I did seven site visits in seven months. So, and I think that's a really important thing for people to understand. The story is to actually go and see it. It's you, it's unbelievable until you actually see it. And um, more than happy to take you for a site visit. <laughs> Take you underground and, and maybe actually we need some jumbo operators to go and uh, do a bit of rehab if you don't mind. There you go. There you go. Oh, bloody. Do I have to wear safety glasses over there? That could be a blade. <laughs> that could get me over there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Right. Good on you, Scotty. Thanks very much for having me in here, mate. Legend. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Cheers, mate.